0: Number, excuse me, John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. Uh, Nick, we're going to do away with the video here before uh, the message. But John chapter number 14, as we continue in our series of the trustworthiness of God or in Christ and how he's made specific promises uh, to you and to me, uh, we learn that not only... um, Will we we'll, we'll, we'll learn about, about Christ and what he's, what he's done for us? But we're going to learn this morning uh, that Jesus, he's going to remain with you. And a promise is only as good as the one that is making the promise. And so we looked at over the last several weeks about who Jesus is and, and, and how God the Father has given everything unto him. And all power has been given to him. But let's pick it up in verse number 16 of John chapter number 14. It says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I want you to notice that that text there says how the world the world doesn't know him. If you remember from a few weeks ago, you and I we only understand the Father because of Jesus. Jesus is the one that declares, Jesus is the one that shows us the Father. And he says in verse number 18 of our text, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Let's ask the Lord one more time to Bless this time. Father, I, I lift up this text, and Lord, I know that I can confidently say, Thus saith the Lord. Thankful that you speak to us when we read your word. And Father, I pray that I would hide behind your message this morning. Father, help me to guard what I say. Lord, help me to say that which is edifying to you and that you can work. For your maximum glory. And Lord, I pray all this humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Those words that we just read in John chapter number four, they were spoken the night before Jesus Christ was crucified. Christ spent the evening with his disciples, and they were eating uh, the, the, the Last Supper. And uh, these words, they were spoken by Jesus either at the Last Supper or soon after that as they were making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Christ had already spoken to them on numerous occasions about his death, literally maybe even a few hours before that or maybe even a day before, we don't know. In John 13, 33, it says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you, ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews whither I go ye cannot come so now I say to you. And so Christ would be he would be taken from them this night in the gar- from the garden of Gethsemane. His arrest, his trial, his flogging, his his brutal crucifixion were just literally hours away. And Christ he had he had prophesied about his death before. But his disciples never seemed to really be able to kind of connect the dots. They never really understood what Jesus was saying. But now it was beginning to dawn upon them. It was beginning to take place right before their eyes as the soldiers, by way of being led by Pilate, come and they arrest Jesus. Pilate comes and he betrays Jesus by a kiss of the cheek prophesied in the Old Testament. And so now Christ he's, he speaks to them words that have brought comfort to be honest with you and strength for millions over these years. I have preached even from the earlier portions of John 14 at funerals and it has comforted the hearts and he says in John 14:1 let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Three different times in John chapter 14, Jesus kind of, he tells his disciples of his death. He, he foretells of it in three different times. He tells them that he's going to come again to them. In verse number three of John 14, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. This is our text for this morning. I will come to you. Later in the chapter, verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will come unto him, and make our abode with him. See, these promises that Jesus has made to his disciples in this chapter, verse number 14, they're they're fulfilled through the resurrection, through the Holy Spirit being a gift, that's what what we read there, and verse number 23 and then also early on in the chapter of his second coming when he returns. And you and I this morning we're going to we're going to kind of we're going to kind of start at the end or we're going to start at kind of the more the, the the end of the chapter and work our way back up to the second coming of Jesus Christ in the weeks to come. Next week we'll we'll look at the at the power of the Holy Spirit has been given to you and then Christ's promise of what will take place later in the future for those of us that have trusted him as our savior. But today, what I, what I want us to look at is what I'm going to call orphan faith. I want us to, I want us to look at the, at the resurrection. And we see, first of all, orphan faith and the promise of the resurrection. We did, we did a little bit of singing about that just now. When we talk about the man of sorrows, but, but orphan faith, let's look back into our text, verse number 18. John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. The Greek word for comfortless is the word orphanos. Hence the reason why I chose kind of the idea of orphan faith. It's the Greek word where we get our English word, orphan. An orphan is a person who loses both parents through death. Jesus uses the picture of an orphan to describe what the disciples were about to experience. Christ had been like a father to them. On multiple occasions, Jesus would have, he would have referred to them as my children on many different occasions. Now, he was actually going to be taken away from them. For the disciples, it must, have, it must have seemed that their whole world was imploding. Because three years ago, they would have heard Jesus say, follow me. And they would have left everything they knew. They would have, they would have left their business of fishing. And they would have left all of the, all of the, the nuances of their reality. All of the things that bring you comfort. Kind of those creature comforts. I couldn't wait to get home last night and sleep in my own bed. I mean, you know, you know what I'm talking about that. When you've been away for a few days and you're on an air mattress, you know, it's kind of brutal, you know. You want you to you wanna get back to your own bed. They left their creature comforts. They left what they knew. Jesus said, hey, follow me. And they had done that for three years they had been learning of this man, Jesus. They had, they had seen the miracles. They had seen the power that resided in this man. Let me tell you, the reason why is because he was God in the flesh. And they had all, they, they'd left everything they knew and they, they had begun to, to follow him for three years. Jesus Christ was the center of their world, he was the focus of their hope and their joy. Now, Christ. He was about to be taken from them. They were getting ready to become like orphans. This is what happened at Calvary. This is what happened when Jesus died. They took Jesus' lifeless body off of that cross and they went and they laid him in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. The disciples experienced life without Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I want you to ponder it. What if life had ended there? What if that was the end? Can I tell you something? You and I have the end of the story. But to these men and women, they didn't understand the whole story. When Jesus foretold, you tear this body down, you tear this house down three days later, I'm going to rise it up again. They, they did not understand oftentimes the metaphors and the pictures in which Jesus often taught with. What if Jesus had left them as orphans? What would these men have had? What would they have done? I, wanna, I want you to stick with me for the next five minutes. They had great teaching. These men had the teaching of Jesus, Jesus was the greatest teacher this world has and ever will know. They had the Beatitudes. They had the Sermon on the Mount. They had a pattern of life. They had an an ethic to live by. They had this greater way of living. They had this standard with which Jesus would often portray. And they could have shared all of that with the world. They could have shared what they had learned and had, had been taught of Jesus, or by Jesus, they could have shared that with the world. You know what these these men had? These men had a great example. These men had the example of Jesus. They observed the only perfect life that human history will ever know. They had been moved. They had been inspired by this man. These men had left all to follow this, this one that they had begun to hear about. They had an example. They had some great teachings. They could have gone into the world and they could have said, hey, we want to tell you about Jesus. We want, to, we, want to, we want to call you to His teachings. We want to call you to His example. We want to call you to a life that is worthy of living. Let's follow His example. With this great teaching and this great example, they had enough to conduct a faith that drew from Jesus but did not depend on Him actually being there. I want to call this, as I already did, orphan faith. A faith that draws inspiration from Jesus, but does not actually depend on Him being there. Do you realize that you and I can conduct a service on Sunday that is all about Jesus and not Have him, in a sense, really here? Oh, I know he lives within us. I know where two or three are gathered. But you know what I I mean is, is that we can do church. We can sing. I mean, we sang some awesome words. We can draw from his life. We can sing songs that draw from his life. But if we're not careful, we can actually do church without ever even acknowledging that he's here. Orphan faith, I'll be honest with you, it's got a massive appeal. The reason why is because anyone can buy into it. It is a personalized faith. It is custom-built, selected words and actions of Jesus that seem meaningful for the individual today. You simply take what you find helpful in Christ's teachings and example, and you can begin to adopt it into your life. Orphan faith does not need a living Christ. And if there's no living Christ, then there is no one to be obligated to. But hear what I'm about to say. Orphan faith is not Christian faith. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you to to face the world armed only with my teaching, armed only with my example. Listen, the Christian life is more than just rules. The Christian life is more than just a man to follow. No, the Christian life is Jesus. He is our life. There is a presence that matters more than anything else and that is the presence of Jesus and this is the this is the promise of the resurrection christian faith it resides on the li- rests on the living presence of Christ in your life i'm going to i'm going to try to i'm going to try to apply this for you here the message of Christ or the message of christian faith is not follow my example follow my teaching jesus says follow me what you feel about orphan faith says a great deal, honestly, about you. Back in the Old Testament, God, God brought his people out of, out of Egypt. And he gathered them to Mount Sinai to make a covenant with them. And Moses, he went up on the top of Mount Sinai, and he was receiving the Ten Commandments. God was literally communicating with him. And while Moses was up on the mountain talking with God, the people were rebelling. The people were doing all kinds of things, making molten calves. I mean, it was just, it was just they, they were completely rebelling from God. And Moses comes down, he gets angry, you know that. I mean, he, he breaks the tablets. He, he sees what is going on. And Moses makes these remarkable words in Exodus 32, verse 32. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. What words? Moses cared so much for the people. That Moses like, God, please forgive the people. He was the leader of them. And then he said, but God, if you're, if you're not willing to, would you, would you just blot my name out of the book? Can I just put it this way? He was saying, you know what? I'll be willing to go to hell so they can go to heaven. Wow. Those are powerful words. And God responds to Moses in the next chapter, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. What land is God talking about here? He's talking about the promised land. God had promised it to Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, and now he's, he's kind of re-given the covenant with Moses here. He said, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to go up. Verse number two, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Wow, that's a lot of ites right there, isn't it? Can I just put it this way? A lot of bad dudes, okay? A lot of pagan people. Some of them literally would offer little children to the god Moloch, which was an arm stretched out over open fire. And God's like, I'm going to drive them all out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send an angel before you. And we're gonna, we read about that often in, in the book of Joshua. But God, he's, he's foretelling this to, to Moses. Verse 3, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. I mean, that's, that's quite an offer here. God's saying, look, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a land that's just flowing with cash and flowing with food. Can I, can I just make it into today's vernacular? I mean, you're going you're gonna to be, you're, you're be doing great. You're going to have the sustenance that you need and everything. It's going to be hunky-dory. And by the way, I'm going to throw in a little bit of protection with it. I'm going to send an angel before you. He's going to wipe out all the enemies. You're going to be able to go right into that promised land kind of with a little bit of ease. Now let me ask you, would you have settled for that? God makes that offer to him. God says, hey, I want you to go, and it's going to be great. But I'm not going with you. And here's the response in verse 4. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. What were they mourning about, church? That God himself wasn't going to be with them. This was one of the finest hours of the people of God. This was a good day for them. They're like, I don't really want that. Let me ask you a question. What are you willing to give up so you can have? What are you willing to... For sake, so you can have a little bit of ease. This was really, honestly, apart from the fact that God wasn't there, this was awesome news. God, you're going to fulfill your promise. John Piper's framed the question in his book: "Don't waste your life this way. If you could just have a good job, a good wife or husband." a couple of good kids, a nice car, long weekends, a few good friends, a fun retirement, a quick and easy death, and no hell. Would you be satisfied? Let's read it again. If you could have a good job, a good spouse, good kids, Snazzy car, snazzy home, no debt, get to go on a lot of vacations, get to ride in the boat, get to live and die and not have to go to hell, would you be satisfied? That question has haunted me for two weeks. Because I knew I was gonna be away this week and so I put heavy study into two weeks ago. I've I've read this book more than once, but this question haunted me. Let me make this statement. No satisfaction without him. Let me change that. Let's say it together. Let's put Christ at the end. Ready? Begin. No satisfaction without Christ. Let's try it again. No satisfaction without Christ. I want that to be my prayer. I want that to be my reality. But as I, as I ponder this question that, that, that Piper asks in this book, it's thinking, yeah, you know what? So much of our life actually is lived for the things that were in that question. And yet I want Christ to be everything. See, the disciples of Jesus, they were not to be satisfied with anything but him. Jesus was about to be taken from them. They do not say in this text, oh, Jesus will soon be gone, but we still have each other. Oh, Jesus is gone, but we, but we still have a good life. They do not say, well, Jesus is soon to be gone, but we can still change the world with the message of his teachings. No, the center of their joy is not in their fellowship or in their ministry, not in what they can achieve in this life, but in Jesus Himself. They could not be satisfied without Him. And my question to us this morning is a very sobering one. Ryan, that's me. Church, can you really be satisfied apart from christ can you john 14 18 says i will not leave you comfortless i will come to you jesus does not say in the text you will not be comfortless or you will not be orphans he says i'm not going to leave you in that state I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. This is the promise of the resurrection. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And I'm going to be gone for a couple days. Your your life's going to be a wreck. Those disciples were hiding. They were scared to death. They didn't know what was going on. The one that they had followed for three years, the one that they were willing to, to forsake everything, now he's gone. He's in a tomb. No one had ever been rose again death. He says, you're going to experience some orphan feelings, but it's not going to end there. I'm not going to leave you there. Jesus says, I'm going to come to you. You want to know what the great promise of the gospel is? The great promise of the gospel is Christ himself. Ladies and gentlemen, until we embody that, until you and I get to the place that Jesus Christ really is everything, then you and I are going to go on a search for stuff. You and I are going to go on a search for temporal things. But when you and I come to the realization that in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone, when he says, hey, I'm not gonna leave you comfortless, I am going to come to you, that in him you have everything you need. When Christ was taken from them and made them orphans, only Christ returning to them, being present with them, could restore what they lost. All of our blessings, all of our blessings, church, they're in Jesus Christ. If you have him, you have everything. But if you do not have him, hear me, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can have all of the flowing milk and honey that this world can provide. But you don't have the pearl of great price. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. But if you do have him, have everything. He won't leave us alone. Jesus comes to the disciples when he rose at Easter. It's what we celebrate. I already wish it was there. But when he returned to his Father, he ascended into heaven. So how do we have the presence of Christ still in our lives? In what way is he still with us? How does he come to us like he promised in our text? Well, the promise of the resurrection is accompanied by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna study that next week. Jesus coupled the resurrection with the coming of the Holy Spirit so that way Jesus can make a promise to you and say, hey I'm not going to leave you comfortless I'm going to give you everything that you need started at the resurrection, he came back he fulfilled his promise to those disciples and then he ascended three days later and back in our text he said I'm going to bring another, my Father's going to give another comforter oh Jesus was a comfort to these men I assure you that but he says but I'm going to God's going to send another comforter. One that can never leave you. It's going to go everywhere with you. Trustworthiness of God. It starts with Him and it ends with Him. And you and I, I believe that God, in this morning's message, the application is for you and I to stop the endless pursuit of satisfaction this way. And wholly bring our satisfaction this way. And for us to invite Jesus into everything because I believe we can do life like an orphan. We can learn from him. We can learn from his example, but you know what, I'm asking God for Jesus to be here. I'm asking God for Jesus to be the very thrust of everything that we do. I told one of my assistants this morning that I need this message maybe more than anybody. Because I want Jesus in on everything. And he says, oh, I'll be there. Let's use it. Let's tap into that, so to speak, and stop the pursuit of a horizontal life and start vertical. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I thank you, God, for how you've spoken to me through it. And Lord, it was even it's even kind of been tested. This week's been very different for me in that it wasn't a week heavily in study and reading but instead it was trying to minister to my grandfather and certainly see some beauty of Utah. And God, I in my own strength, I could have done church today. Lord, I didn't want to do that. I want to invite you into everything I do. Oh, Lord, I know you're there, but I want to submit to you, as we talked about last week, of getting into the yoke. And Father, I pray that, Lord, we would be satisfied with you and you alone. Lord, it changes our outlook on life if we realize that Jesus is everything. And then Father, I pray that if there's an individual that's here this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Father, I pray that you would show them right now in their heart that they would realize that the pursuits of their life, that they're not fulfilling and that only Jesus Christ can bring that ultimate satisfaction. And Father, I pray that you'd work in their heart. I pray that, Lord, they would realize that that Jesus is the only Savior and that they must acknowledge that. They must ask for forgiveness of their sins and ask Jesus to save them. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would do a work in our hearts. Our heads bowed, eyes closed. Some of you have got things that are so, your, your hands are gripped so tightly around them. And God wants you just to let it go and revel in Jesus. Ask him to help you with that right now.